Blog Talk Radio. Chatting with Sherry is presented by the writers and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we're going to chat with Mitzi Soresto. She has actually been before. She's a, a good supporter of the show. Uh, she's got a new book called The uh, Best New True Crime Story, Small Towns. And we have a really pretty lively chat. This is uh, previously recorded, and I'm sorry, but my throat is dying. I have, I think, a cold. Here comes Mitzi. Hi, Mitzi. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me back. I, I mean, how many times have we been on together already? Is it? Is it? I think we're going on five. I think this is our fifth interview, which is really I'll good. I have to check. I think I've got them all on my website, so I should count them. <laughs> High five! Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> uh, it's nice to be wanted. Well, I, yes, of course. And uh, you you and Teddy are always welcome on the show. Oh, thank you. At least we haven't been banned. <laughs> no. There have been people banned from my show, but you aren't. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. I won't ask. It takes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I behave. I behave. I'm very <laughs> proper on shows. <laughs> No, there's there's only very few people who have been in gotten the look of doom even though they don't see it. <laughs> um so we were talking in the green room about what's going on in the world. How are you handling lockdown and whatever phase you're in? I'm handling it pretty much fine. I mean, um, you know, I, I'm always working, and I, I have never been so busy in my life as I have been pretty much since late last year. So, uh, you know, it's less distractions to be worried about, you know, meeting up with a friend for a pint or whatever. Um, and, you know, I keep to myself anyways. You know, I'm pretty much a, uh, I don't know, I... I, I kind of fine with my own company and Teddy's company, so uh, it's not really <laughs> a negative for me, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it, that's, it does, because um, I, I I work at home. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly working. I work, like, almost seven days a week every day. Um, I do take a day off, but it's to write. Um, it's not like I actually, I take don't take a day off to do anything. I take a day off to work. No, I understand you. <laughs> I, I, I exactly, I know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Take a day off so I can do a bit of work that I haven't been able to get to. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's the same for me. I mean, I don't have a, quote, day off. I'm pretty much always doing some sort of work every day. Um, that's just the nature of the game, you know? I mean, there's so many elements to putting a book out and communicating with people, and, uh, you know, it, it takes it takes up your whole day. <laughs> it does. It's kind of crazy. It's. Um, I never really thought it. I actually schedule my day, which I never did before I started all this. I mean, I actually have a schedule. 
I don't keep, it's not an exact schedule, it doesn't have times or anything, it's more like, these are all the things, it's a to-do list, basically. Um, oh, there's no work made, because more stuff keeps cropping up that, that puts the to-do list back and, you know, kind of erases what I had on it. The thing is, at my age, I need it, <laughs> or I'll forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything there. <laughs> But you get to a point, it's just like, there are certain things, like, I've always been good at remembering movies and books and actors and things like that. Sometimes they'll just, even though they're at the tip of the tongue, now they just kind of disappear. Well, you know, also, if you're really, really busy, it's hard to keep track. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, for instance, if I'm watching something, say last night, a film or a series, and I, I won't remember what it was that someone asks me today, because I've got so many other things in my head and so many other things that I'm doing, um, it, you know, I, I just can't keep it all in there. <laughs> so, other than working, have you been reading a lot? Have you picked up new books? to read a new author? Um, well, please don't ask me who because uh, I can't remember any of them. I, that's why I keep Goodreads because cause then I can keep track of what I've read. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I haven't been actually doing quite a bit of reading. But, but ironically, um, I, as I mentioned to you in the green room, that I end up starting to read around midnight. That's kind of when I finally get started. And uh, consequently, uh, I end up staying uh, up later than I wish, uh, 2 a.m. on Sometimes a bit later than that, but uh, you know, I love to read. read. I've, I've loved to read since I was a kid, so I suppose it was inevitable I'd be a writer since I love books and reading so much. But uh, yeah, I've been, I've been doing uh, quite a bit of reading. Uh, I, I love psychological uh, thrillers, and I always have. And I know know they're sort of um, in vogue now, but I read them when they weren't in vogue. But I think uh, most of the ones I read were from British authors. So I think they were doing it a lot longer uh, before the uh, Gone Girl craze came up, shall we say? Yeah. No, like we, I was telling you earlier, it's like Agatha Christie is one of my absolute favorites. I've been reading her since I was a little girl. And she handled pretty much every type of writing you can do. So th there's no way you can't like her. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been uh, kind of mixing things up a bit with a bit of uh, memoir. Uh, um, I wrote, I wrote, I didn't write, but hey, maybe I will write one. But uh, <laughs> um, right now I'm reading uh, Reckless from Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders. Oh, is it good? Quite, yeah, I'm quite enjoying that. And, and uh, another memoir I read... Uh, a few weeks ago was the one from Patty Smith about about her uh, relationship with Robert Mapplethorpe. Uh, I, I I really enjoyed that as well. I, it it was just um, so interesting, kind of getting a window into that time, and I, I just think they were really well written. And not not all memoirs necessarily are, but <laughs> so far I'm pretty happy with these two. Yeah, I, I actually really love I love memoirs. I love documentaries. I like. Finding out about um, people from 
either their perspective or their biographer's perspective. But it, usually I only go from somebody who's sanctioned. I don't like to read unsanctioned or watch unsanctioned yeah. autobiographies or yeah. um, documentaries. Um, I saw Natalie Wood, What Remains Behind. That was really good. That was done by her daughter. She pro uh, produced it with a well-known director. Um, that documentary was fascinating. Um, it was it was to give a balanced view of her mother. It, it, not how she died, but how she lived. She was an incredible woman. She, she was... Um, a feminist. She was um, a producer. She was um, quite a lady. She she actually could pick and choose what films she did. She fought Jack Warner to get that right. Um, it, it, she was a lot more than just the beautiful and talented actress that we know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that whole thing about sanctioned and unsanctioned. Uh, yeah, I, I'm quite conscious of, of that as well because uh, a lot of things are just sort of ex exploitational. You know, when, when people throw a bunch of stuff together and say, oh, this is so-and-so's life or whatever, whether it's a book or a film, I, I don't know. You know, and now that I'm working in true crime, I'm particularly aware of that. And, uh, you know, as far as facts, you know, getting, getting the facts right, uh, providing some balance, as opposed to slanting something in a certain direction, I'm not keen on the slanting aspect. I kind of would like to, you know, I have a, you know, I, I did my undergrad studies in journalism, so that was probably maybe where I got this ethic from. Uh, and I'm not going to say that every journalist has these kind of ethics. We've seen plenty of you too, <laughs> but we won't go there. But. Um, yeah, I mean, exactly. It's 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 the balance, and it's it's having the having everything right, not just a bunch of you know rubbish that you collected and threw it together because maybe some people are going to read it or watch it. That's one of the reasons why I watched that because it was sanctioned by Natasha uh, Wagner, that Gregson Wagner. Uh, I knew yeah. that it wasn't going to be junk. You know, it wasn't going to be lies. Um, and the, um, actually, that, ac she, that actually, during it, she, um, at the end, she mentioned, um, a book that she had written about photographs and stuff, and when I was looking up that book with the, the photographs of her mom, I found out Natasha wrote a book about what she went through when her mother died and it wasn't part of the advertisement for the show I didn't even know about it um, it just had come out like a couple of days before and she wasn't ta she, there was no advertisement I thought that was really elegant of her <laughs> yeah interesting yeah um, but it was fascinating the book was fascinating I, the thing that shocked me the most she was 11 years old when her mom died. She found out by a radio broadcast. She woke up with a radio alarm, and that was the lead story that her own mother was dead. And that's pretty grim. Isn't that awful? I was shocked. I actually had thought that. Clearly, clearly the authorities dropped the ball on that because um, 
you know, aren't they supposed to inform next of kin before things go out onto the, although then again with paparazzi in the media, that when you're a public figure, I suppose they just want to get that story out. Nobody cares how it affects others. I thought that too. That's what the, that's the way I was told, because uh, uh, Natalie drowned in the 80s, so I thought that too, because that was a law by then. But yeah, maybe well, because I don't know, you know, it was yeah. You know, when it's a celebrity, there's sort of a, the, the laws don't necessarily apply, you know, with with media coverage. Yeah, it was awful. I it, yeah. but it, it it actually changed her life. Um, well, obviously because she lost her mom, but her the, the way she saw her life before and the way she saw her life after. Very interesting book. Um, very, very fascinating. The other one that I saw, uh, and this is basically one of the reasons I wanted to see it, was because I knew the area very well. Um, there's a place called, um, remember I told you about forgetting names? When you get to a certain age. Remember when I, earlier I mentioned, I forgot the name of the damn documentary. And I grew oh. up near it. Laurel Canyon. Laurel Canyon. Oh, that's yeah, I know Laurel Canyon well. I used yeah. to zoom up and down Laurel Canyon okay. back and forth. And me too. I grew up in uh, in the San Fernando Valley right at the foot of Laurel Canyon. You used to drive up and, you know. Um, and is that how still there it says Mr. Mojo Rising written on it? <laughs> yes. And the thing is... And I'm going to uh, assume, assume that must have been where Jim Morrison lived, I would think, no? Yes. Yes. Okay. I and remember. I was to get out of that. The the documentary was all about all of the rock musicians. Well, not just rock music. All of the musicians that lived in Laurel Canyon and how well everybody got along and that there was no competition and they were all friends and it didn't matter where yeah. they were. I mean, the people from the doors were really good friends with the monkeys. You know, you just. <laughs> 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 it was it was really fun. There's just something funny about that. I know, I know. But um, what's his name? But you know, it was a different time. I mean, I, I I'm I'm fascinated by that time period. I mean, the, the, you know, the '60s. I just I just think there was some something incredible about it, and musically, and and just just so much creativity, and and I don't know. I think it would have been an amazing time to be rolling around and hearing all these bands and whatever. It's interesting because one of the things they talked about, and it really hit me because my brother and I, like I said, we grew up there. That's, we grew up in the San Fernando Valley, right next door to there, in the 60s. Little children. But we remember it. Um, not all of it, because it starts early 60s, so we were, I was, uh, we were both infants. Dave wasn't even born during part of it. Um, but Toward the end, when they talk about how, because they talk all through that all the doors were open, people walked in and out of each other's houses. That's that was the way it was in the San Fernando Valley. That's the way it was in our neighborhood. My um, my mom's best friend's little son, who was about four or five, used to walk into my mom in our house when my brother and I were at school, and all of a sudden she'd hear the TV on, and he'd be sitting down watching cartoons. <laughs> 
funny. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and she called. See, I'm too antisocial to have done that. I would just, that wouldn't happen with me. <laughs> but he didn't even think anything of it. He was just like, okay, I'm going to go to Aunt Dottie and watch cartoons because Mommy's vacuuming. Oh. Um, <laughs> and so my mother would pick up the phone in the kitchen and say, Stevie's here. Um, <laughs> you know, the only thing I can I can think of that I've seen uh, uh, in reality similar to that, and I know this is pretty off the wall for a comparison, but was when I was uh, with Teddy teaching some writing classes on the Greek islands, and, and in, you know, when it's pretty warm there most of the year, and people have their drawers open, and there would be all the local kitty kitties roaming, and they'd be walking in and out of people's homes. <laughs> Yeah, getting some food, going to the next one, just wandering in and out. So that's what I'm thinking of that with it, these cats. It was just like that. It was just like that. And you, um, I, I would go across the street to my girlfriend's house, and they come over to my house. We wouldn't have. We'd open each other's doors. Um, you know, we were. Uh, if we didn't know them, if they were new, of course we would not, because we were polite. But. You know, people we knew very well that were, like, right next door and people like that. We were in and out of their houses all the time. That all changed when the Bianca Tate murders happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that was sort of the end of innocence for the 60s, absolutely. Yeah, then all, uh, all of a sudden, all the doors locked. It was, the world changed. Nobody was yeah. allowed to go in and out. Nobody, we weren't allowed outside without our parents. Um, it was, uh, it was terrifying. Um, and I was, what, I think I was seven, seven, six, six, no, I was about seven years old when that happened. But uh, I remember it. I, re I just remember the change, the change in feeling. I even remember when it happened. And it's from my own perspective, because I was a little girl, but what I remember was Mom starting to get hysterical in the car as we were driving on the way home from a bar mitzvah. That's what I remember, because that was the news mm. of the t uh, Sharon Tate being killed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, that was just... Uh horrific and you know and it, it and I think that people's fascination with that is obviously still ongoing it's some it's as if Charles Manson's become this legendary figure for for the worst reason possible it's scary but then, that you know that's that's sort of the nature of the game I mean you know serial killers and and people who commit heinous crimes do become these sort of almost superstar figures, you know? I mean, Ted Bundy for ex is the easiest one to come up with in that regard. Uh, Jack the Ripper, years, years and years and years. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I know, it's just crazy. You, you wouldn't think that, but, or, or the Black Dahlia murder, we don't even know who he is, and it still fascinates. My mom even was fascinated. That was the only serial killer my mom wanted to find out what happened. She actually got very fascinated and hooked into the Black Dahlia murders. M murder, not murders. That was the only one. <laughs> she bought all the books. Yeah, well... <laughs>
but I just I I, I think it's interesting that there it's and my mom was a very timid person and she was even though she liked a good mystery she didn't like horrors and nothing like that but that fascinated her. Mine was I always yeah, found well, I could understand. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I, I found Jeff the Ripper fascinating. I don't know why. I hated what he did. <laughs> oh, he, he, well, that's another one that, you know, that is just an ongoing franchise, you know? I mean, it's continued. People are continually writing about it. Uh, there's always a new angle on it. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, you kind of wonder, well, in another 200 years, if... If we haven't made a comp as, as much mess as we're making now, and anybody's still around, uh, will Chuck the Ripper still be talked about? With all the stuff that's happening, I don't even know if a simple serial killer would be that interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know. Well, I guess we don't have to worry about 200 years from now, do we? <laughs> I'm worried about day by day you know, right now. Maybe, maybe I better check my painting up in the attic and make sure it's still okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm checking day by day now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't you uh, tell us about uh, your new book? Uh, I'd love to. Uh, well, uh, it's called Nutrient Crime Stories, Small Towns, and this is uh, the second book in my series, uh, the first one was the Serial Killers book, which we chatted about, I think, last year, mm -hmm. I believe it was. Um, I, I told somebody that, oh, I think this has become my franchise, but I, I mean, why not, right? Uh, so, anyway, this is about small town true crime. Uh, it's got stories set uh, in different time frames uh, from all over the world. Um, just to throw some locations out, obviously we have, we have the U.S., uh, we've got several U.S. locations, uh, the American South, California, Pacific Northwest, we've got a story from Canada, from Ontario, uh, we have uh, stories from England, Scotland, and Wales, we have uh, stories from Germany, Italy, and Trinidad. Trinidad? And the oh, writers unusual. are pretty diverse. They're from all over the world as well. So uh, it's quite an international collection. Um, and uh, I really, you know, I really enjoy putting this book together. Uh, there's just so much fascinating content. There's just so many, uh, I, I mean, it's a real eye-opener, I think, for people to read these stories and uh, get a perspective on other cultures, other countries, um, so, so I mean, if, if people enjoy the Serial Killers book, I'm pretty much certain that they're going to enjoy this one as well. I think it's really interesting how we're always interested in this kind of stuff. How did you become interested in it? You know, the the ironic thing is, in my in my writing career, I seem to have um, fallen in things by accident. <laughs> uh, when, when I was uh, writing erotic fiction, that all happened by accident. It wasn't something that I intended to do. It's just uh, I somehow accidentally got uh, writing, and bang, I had a bit of a franchise with that. Uh, the true crime is the same thing that happened. Uh, it, it kind of came out of a brainstorming uh, conversation with a publisher, and 
you know, I've done nonfiction in the past, and I've done crime fiction, and, you know, I pretty much can turn my hand to any genre, and I kind of have pride in that, because, you know, there's all this mentality about writers, and you have to pigeonhole them, and so-and-so's a mystery writer, so-and-so's a crime writer, so-and-so's a romance writer, and it's as if you cannot do anything beyond that, where you're not allowed to. Uh, I don't subscribe to that, and I refuse to. So, when I wanted to... Uh, start on these true crime books, I, I, I wanted to do something that maybe was a little bit different from what other people do, um, because it's, it's a hot genre right now, and, and so there's a lot of it out there, and so I kind of just went at it ignoring what other people were doing and just wanting to do things my way, so that's kind of how I've approached everything. And uh, having that journalism background and, you know, this not that I've used it extensively, I haven't, but in a way I kind of recycled all those things that I learned and, and was felt almost like a journalist again, uh, both writing my own story and in editing other people's work. So is there, like, um, when you're doing something like that, do you have guidance on what you have, what you can do and what you can't do? Do you get, have to get permission from different people and different families? Do you get an interview no. people? Um, you know, um, like I said, the, the writers uh, will pitch me their story, and if I feel that it's something that I think would fit in the book, I'll tell them, well, if you want to run with it, I'm certainly interested in seeing it. Uh, so, I mean, some of them have... Uh, done a lot of first-person perspective pieces. Um, others have been more research-oriented and also sought out, you know, new material to incorporate into what maybe is known. Because, I mean, some of the stories might be a bit more familiar. Uh, I mean, for instance, in the uh, Small Towns book, there's, there's the uh, Snowtown murders in Australia. That's a pretty notorious case. So um, in that instance, the writer incorporated a lot of his own first person's perspective because he went to visit this area and he took a different approach on the story, not just recording the crime, but and you know discussing elements such as dark tourism and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, you know, I wrote a story for the book, which is uh, set in the Pacific Northwest about a spree killer, and. Uh, I'll tell you honestly, I worked harder on that story than I have on, on long-form fiction. Uh, and what I did was I did actually interview a lot of people. Uh, I was very lucky because of some uh, contacts I have in law enforcement who, by coincidence, knew other law enforcement officials who worked on the case. And I mean high up on the case, not just some, you know, small connection. I mean, you know, big guys who were really in charge of this case. So I was able to uh, secure interviews with them. Um, and I also sought out other people to interview because I wanted to get a, um, a input into the mental health situation uh, in the state as well as in the United States in general because that does play a part in this particular story. So, uh, you know, when people give you an interview, you know, they're giving you permission to use the word. Uh, I did have one person who said, well, um, I don't really want to be identified in this story, so can you just say a former such and such? 
And I, I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do in journalism. You know, if somebody wishes to not have their name attached to what they're saying, that's fine. You know, I mean, for privacy or whatever reasons they have. You know, you were talking earlier about this and bringing it up made me think again. When I took journalism classes, they talked about ethics and morals and the, and uh, keeping yourself out of the story. The story is the story. It's not about you. And it's like, do you feel that that's like disappeared? Um. Well, you know, I mean, true crime is. I mean, it's 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 like journalism, and then it isn't like journalism. I mean, I mean, one of the most successful books in true crime was the Anne Rule book. Uh, was the stranger beside me? Is that the one about her and Ted Bundy and how she uh, was assigned to write about a serial killer who was killing all these women and found out later on that it's the guy that here I am sitting here doing this, uh, you know, phone thing with. Uh, they were doing some sort of a hotline service, a helpline for something. So um, she's quite a bit in the book, and and I think I think that personal touch is nice if you could incorporate it. Um, so, you know, journalism, I suppose, it really depends. I mean, I, I, it depends on what you're writing uh, as far as incorporating yourself into the piece itself. I mean, I don't think it should be superfluously done unless there's a reason for it. Um, in, in the instance in my book, uh, if it's done, it's done for a reason, you know. I mean, I've had... Uh, first-person accounts in the serial killers book about people who actually had some contact with these people, uh, one of whom, let's just say, lived to tell the story later, if you know what I mean. So, you know, it's, it's, if it's relevant, it's then fine, but not, not as something that would be, say, um, an ego thing. Because <laughs> it's, it's such a strange thing. You think about it. There's I mean, like uh, anchors on the news. When I grew up, you didn't know who they, you didn't know if they were Democrat or Republican because they were pretty oh. damn fair. And they never really discussed yeah. it and they were completely unbiased in their reporting and uh, they, yeah. you, you thought they were like non-political and you find out late years later, oh, he was a Republican, oh, he was a Democrat. You never would have known the way they yeah. reported. Yeah, you know, it's that, that type of news reporting seems to have um, fallen by the wayside as far as just neutral reporting and, and whatever. I mean, now it's like, well, I'm going to watch this station because this kind of fits what I think and what I like, or I'm not going to watch it. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, that is disturbing because you kind of wonder, well, what kind of news am I actually receiving? Yeah, exactly. Um, I always, you know, like, until, I guess, uh, even when Fox News, when it first came on, and CNN, when it first came on, they weren't that bad. It's later that just, sort of toward the 2000s, that's when they started getting nasty. Yeah, well, I basically don't watch any American news. Um, I mean, I'm currently, uh, shall we say, sort of stuck in the States right now. But um, I'm, I'm, uh, if I, the, the news just is just 
too much already, but uh, I generally will watch foreign news if I'm going to watch any news at all, and I, I tend to watch uh, CBC, which is the Canadian broadcasting uh, station, uh, because I just, I, I think they give really good international coverage, which you don't get so much on American news. It's still a bit insular, you know, it's like nothing exists but America kind of mentality, and I've never subscribed to that. Well, I never subscribed to it. See, that's what I'm saying. I was brought up with Walter Cronkite and people like that when I was a kid, so they didn't talk like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what. Well, I, that's exactly yeah, what I'm talking sorry. about. It's so much. I don't know. Some of some of the American news channels. I just I find them actually a bit abrasive. I mean, it's just they are. I remember when I used to uh, visit my mother um, when I fly over, fly in from the from the UK, and she'd have like the nightly news on, and I'm like, my God, why is everybody shouting? That's the point. That's what my. That is exactly my point. That's not the way it used to be. No, it's like, you know, I was used to the BBC news, you know, people people were speaking in a normal tone and, and, and <laughs> reporting on the news, and then, and then you put on, like, the American nightly news, and everybody, you know, it's just, what is this? Give me some headphones, earphones. See, that's, that's after the year 2000, before it wasn't like that. Also, there was a thing that has disappeared completely when, until... Like maybe twenty years ago, there was this thing called civility. People listened oh, to oh, each yeah, other. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. What a concept. Yeah, people listened to each other with honest respect to another person's opinion. They could have a conversation like we're having a conversation and not scream and yell, even though they are diametrically opposed. That was the way I was raised. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dad loved to talk about politics, and he talked to anybody. He did, it, it, they could be, um, like, the complete diametrically opposed person. And he, and, and this is what I remember, and this is why it gets me so upset to watch that, what you were talking about. Um, my dad would be... I was in a play, and my dad was uh, was driving me back and forth because my car I was having car trouble. And he was the guy that played one of the characters was a, a, a staunch Republican. My dad was a knee jerk Democrat, and we would be we were always early because my family's always early, and he was always early. So we would sit, we'd have coffee that we get at the coffee shop. And my dad and him would sit down and have this really incredibly fascinating political talk where they were both discussing stuff, disagreeing, uh, 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 explaining things to each other, uh, you know, a, a, a regular discussion. You know, like real people are supposed to have a real discussion. Um, <laughs> and nobody was angry. Nobody was fighting. There was no animosity. They were laughing halfway most of the time. Even when they were intense, there was no animosity. That is the way it was my entire life. So you can imagine how I feel when I see what you're talking about and when I hear people talk about that. As how, that's how all Americans are. That's not true. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> not true. Yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. It's... Um well, civility's just died by the wayside, and they're, let's just say that 
there aren't the best role models out there these days, are there? Yeah, I mean, like I said, these were two men, and I hardly knew the guy was the actor that was in the play. He was really a nice guy. He just believed a different thing. Um, and I'm fine with that. I just like, it's just like, I don't understand this thing about nationalities, butting heads. I have friends from every nationality. I don't, as long as you're a good person, I really don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, grew, I grew up in a multicultural environment, and I have Me lived too. in one pretty much most of my life, and uh, that's what I'm used to. And Me too. That's what I, I prefer that, because I just think life has so much, uh, there's so much richness and so many cultures. Would you just be kind of this tunnel vision with one culture? Or, you know. That's it. That's exactly how I was. That's an NM. I just don't like that anybody wants to push me to be something I'm not, and I hate it, and I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, you know. Yeah, I have refused to do that since I was old enough to follow along. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. I just. I, I always stand to my, you know, I got my own drummer, you know. It was like, well, I just, or I do. And, yeah, you know, I'm me not, too. I'm, anyone thinks or says or, you know, wants to mold me into, I'm never going to subscribe to it. That's, that's exactly how I am, too. I just, you can't make me be something I'm not. You can't make me say something I won't. And stop trying. <laughs> um, okay, so we're coming to the end. So uh, you have, but before we do, you have a second, a uh, third book that's coming out. Can you give us a little bit well, about it? Well, I'm currently it? working on the third book. You yeah, the third book's in progress. Okay. Um, it, it's uh, it's also in the, the Best Nature of Crime Stories. It's in that series. Um, and this one is Well-Mannered Crooks, Rogues, and Criminals. And I think it probably will be ready for the pre-order soon. We're kind of um, working on that. I think the, the publisher's um, getting the designer cracking the whip to get that cover put together. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's going to be um, a little less murder oriented uh, and but it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be a, a very interesting, fascinating book. Um, the, the, I've got um, Three stories so far. No, how many stories have I accepted so far? I've got three that I've pretty much accepted, um, and that's going to cover again pretty international in scope, uh, international group of writers, uh, and I, I think the title says it: well-mannered crooks, rogues, and criminals. So you could kind of get a feel for what that'll be. But that it'll be good. If if you enjoyed these two, you'll you'll enjoy that one. I promise you. Actually, I think I like the third one best. I kind of always have liked the charming criminal. Well, you know, it's it's um, it's just a, you know just to take a little bit of a, a departure because um, I mean murder is obviously such a big thing in true crime and 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 uh, it just seems what people are fascinated by and what people write about. So this one, um, I don't know. There, I mean, if there is any murder, it's not. We'll see. We'll see if there's any murder. But if there is, it won't be a lot of them. Because <laughs> I, I, I was thinking more like con men, you know, because they're always fascinating. Oh, yeah, con men, definitely con men, definitely con men. I can promise you that. Or um, or uh, like the the gentleman thieves, 
you know, people like yeah, that, yeah. that kind of stuff. That's I, I actually really, yes, I know people. That's it, that's it. I like that. I really do. I think that's fascinating. Um, they're my favorites when I'm watching a TV show. I mean, I like somebody, like, uh, I don't know if you'll know the show, but there was a movie called To Catch a Thief with Cary Grant and John Roby. I mean, oh, of course. the most Great elegant. Time, right? Yeah. It was Hitchcock. Yes, of course, yeah. I, you know, I'm a big fan of all the Hitchcock films. The other week I was going and watching them all over again. I think I did three, four nights in a row with a Hitchcock film, even though I'd seen all the films already. See, I, just, I, even, I even slummed it and watched The Birds again. Oh, my God. Uh, the only good thing about The Birds is Rod Taylor. Um <laughs> Well, I like it because I used to live not far from Bodega Bay, so it was sort of cool to see how Bodega Bay actually looked back then because it doesn't look like that now. I I mean, I love Hitch. I've seen every movie he ever made. That's my least favorite. And like I said, the only reason I saw it was because of one person. Um, I ha I've had a crush on Rod Taylor since I was a little girl and saw the, uh, the, um, oh. the time machine. Um <laughs> Yes, 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 I've seen that. But that was what, the only reason I saw the birds. Um, and I I kind of looked away or I left because I saw it on TV. So I kind of left the room every time there was something awful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I, if you like the, the carry grants, you'll, you'll find some sort of carry grant types in this book, I'm sure. Yeah, I love the elegant... I like elegant con men, or um, or like in it takes the thief with Robert Wagner. He played this elegant thief who, it, th there was a uh, sort of a code with them. I don't, and these weren't real. I mean, I know they're fiction, but yeah. But even con men that are real, they there's a code. They only go so far. Only well, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. We we deal a lot with their code of ethics in this and what their particular code was, which may have only been exclusive to themselves, but it is a code of ethics. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. Or even you know who I always think about when it comes to gentlemen thieves. I, I keep I always think of the, the, that wonderful actor David Niven. Oh yeah. Uh, because um, he, I mean, you know, the old Pink Panther films. Yes, I Panther. love those. Isn't he the quintessential gentleman thief? Yeah, because he was also, um, what's the name of that other series that he, uh, movies that he did where he was a thief? Oh, God, I totally can't remember. Um, yeah, he, it was an old black and white series that he did when he was younger where um, he was a thief. They, not, it wasn't Ruggles, it was Robles. Robles. I don't know that. I'll have to check into oh, that because I, I love all that old stuff. Yeah, he's 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 wonderful in it. Uh, I think he, he, one of them even had Olivia de Havilland in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I probably know all that stuff more than I know whatever comes out more recently. It's yeah. just I'm I'm sort of um, fixated on these, you know, all that period with the films and whatnot. I just I just really love that. Or um. Steve McQueen and Pierce Bronson, both of their Thomas Crown Affairs. I like both of them. Even, they're both really different to me. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> very elegant men, very uh, elegant crimes. No one got hurt in either of them. Beautiful. 
Well, good. Then I'll expect to see that you've pre-ordered this book as soon as the pre-order link goes live. <laughs> yeah, I probably will. Sounds like I said I'm. I'm. Order for your friends and family. Yeah. It's the perfect gift. <laughs> okay, so now's the time to tell what's your website, what social media you're on. Okay, well, um, my my website, my calling card is mitzicerreto.com, uh, M-I-T-Z-I-S-Z-E-R-E-T-O, and of course that's a Z for Canadians and the Brits <laughs> and the Aussies. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mitzi Soretto. I have a Facebook fan page, which is aptly titled Mitzi Soretto. Um, and I'm probably rolling around on a few other places. Um, I'm on Goodreads, which, as I said, at least I can keep track of what I've actually read from there. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's really pretty much it. I don't know if anyone wants to come find me on LinkedIn. That's <laughs> But I'm there. And actually, as somebody uh, pitch a story to me from LinkedIn, so I suppose it has its purposes. Yeah, you never know. I mean, I've got interviews. It's random. It's so random, yeah. I, I mean, this I, guy just found me on LinkedIn, and I'm like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Well, we just, I, we weren't connected anywhere else. Yeah, I know. It, it, I, I've gotten people from LinkedIn. I've gotten people from Goodreads uh, for on my show. I they just get in touch with you. If they really want to, they'll find you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds ominous. <laughs> I don't mean in that way. You've been writing too many murder mysteries. <laughs> my, my friend's uh, my friend's a, a retired um, uh, police lieutenant, and he said, well, you know, I'm a bit worried about you being in this true crime thing. You know, I mean, you might attract some crazies. And I'm like, well... To be honest, I think if they read, read the books, it's probably not what they're going to, you know, want to reach out to me about. You know, it's not that kind of book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want that kind of a, you don't want crazy. <laughs> the world's crazy enough as it is. You don't want nice. We get enough crazies running around. We don't need to throw in a few more, do we? No, help. Um <laughs> Anyway, um, thank you for coming on the show again. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. I appreciate uh, you having me back. It's nice. I, I appreciate the support. It's nice when someone says, come back, come back. Oh, I love having you on. Thank you for coming on, Mitzi. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Hi, Mitzi. Welcome back. <laughs>